is something serious to start with, okay? So in a small town, a, a new bar started building, started building plans to open up their business, a pub. The local Baptist church started a campaign of petitions and prayers to the block, uh, sorry, to block the bar from opening. Work progressed, however, right up until the week before opening, when a lightning strike hit the bar and it burned to the ground. The church folks were rather smug in their outlook after that, until the bar owner sued the church on grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, either through direct or indirect actions or means. The church vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise in its reply to the court. As the case made its way into the court, the judge looked over the paperwork and hearing at the hearing, he commented, he commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but as it appears from the paperwork, we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. Now, I don't know if you think that's funny. I'm not sure if that's a true story, but it probably is based on a true story. You know, sometimes you can find more belief outside of the church or outside of the religious establishment than you can inside. Now, I'm not going to judge anybody. That's really just a joke. That's not to do with the scriptures. But um, just to recap for, for tonight, for last week, if you're joining us, um, uh, last week we looked at uh, Jesus's um, disciples were caught breaking the law or the religious leaders' law on the Sabbath, and they were picking grain uh, in a field. And um, the religious leaders, you know, they thought that was that was harvesting, and it was against the law on the Sabbath, which is the you know the day of rest. And so um, last week we remembered that we all are under arrest, the rest of God. You know, in Jesus, we are under his rest. God's new creation is finished and his Sabbath rest is here by believing in Jesus. That's all we have to do, just believe in Jesus and we can have peace with God. We can rest in peace. We can have rest. And this week, we open up in chapter three with another Sabbath message. And here's Jesus at the synagogue again on the Sabbath. In fact, this week, there's three scenes. It's getting really tricky to, to preach it, so I just kept trying to keep it really simple. There's one thing I guess I want to focus on, but there are three scenes, right? There's the synagogue, then there's the sea, where Jesus is out with his disciples and they're by the lake, and crowds of people come to him. And then there's this, this section that I call the selection, where he chooses 12 apostles or disciples and makes them apostles. This carriers series we, um, we've been going through for quite some time now. And uh, in our world, we are living in a moment like no other. People are scared. People are dismissive. People are frustrated. People are cynical. They're full of uncertainty and they're full of fear, helplessness, sadness. 
We're all in a moment that feels complex, confusing, and unsure. But what if the hope of Jesus can be carried into our broken world? What if it's our chance to listen without judging? What if it's our chance to pray without ceasing? What, this, what if this is our chance to love without limits? This is when the church becomes the people, not the building. We can be carriers of Jesus. Now, as I said, there are three scenes, but I want to focus really on one catalyst in each scene. Uh, if you're joining us from Catalyst Church in Officer, welcome. This is not about you. This is about the catalyst that's in each of these three scenes. And the catalyst is Jesus. It's a, it's a textbook Sunday school answer to every problem. Jesus. But here we have three scenes, and these three scenes seem unconnected. You know, we've got a synagogue, we've got crowds by the sea, and then we've got Jesus up on a mountain with choosing his disciples. You know, I was tempted into pulling this apart and making it three messages, but I think there's something that we can learn from this if we just focus on that one catalyst, if we just focus on Jesus. I want to look at tonight at how and why Jesus chose these 12 disciples. And maybe, just maybe, we might learn how and why he chose you and me. So I'm going to read from the message uh, paraphrase tonight, just for fun's sake, for difference. It's going to be different sometimes. So it goes like this in the verse 1 of chapter 13. And when he came up, oh, sorry, in verse uh, 13 of chapter 3, and when he came up on the mountain and called him and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came, I'm sorry, this is not the message at all. This is the, this is the New King James Version. This is the New King James Version, people. All right. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, should say, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, I just want to focus on those verses there. That's basically scene three of this whole drama. Scene one is a synagogue, scene two is by the sea, and scene three, here he is selecting the disciples. How does Jesus choose his disciples? Well, so far, he has called seven disciples to follow him. 
and they have journeyed with him so far to this point in Mark's gospel. So I, I don't know if anyone can remember who they are. So to start with, Simon and Andrew, the brothers that were fishing, they were throwing their nets into the water. Jesus saw them, Simon and Andrew. James and John, and they were fishermen mending their nets. And then Matthew, the tax collector. Now, in Mark's gospel, we don't hear of two other disciples that get selected in that kind of chronological order. And they are Nathaniel, or here in this list of 12, Nathaniel is, is called Bartholomew. It's just another name for him. And Philip mentioned in John's gospel. Nathaniel and Philip, we find, follow Jesus in John's gospel. And all followers, all these men are intrigued. In fact, there were women too that weren't mentioned. All of these followers were intrigued that Jesus just might be the promised Messiah spoken of in the Jewish scriptures. The son of God. Maybe this man that looked ordinary just might be the Messiah, the promised one. And so what they do is they watch him and they listen to his words. They watch him and they listen to his words. So far in Mark's gospel, we have not seen the disciples really doing anything or really saying anything or teaching anything. Nothing of that like. They're, they're disciples. And the, and the real word disciple is really just a learner, a learner. Not so much a student, because a student would study a course. A learner would study a person. A disciple would study a person. And so here they are, these disciples, and they're studying the person of Jesus. They're watching his every move. They're watching what he does. With the, with the water and the wine in John chapter 4, in John's gospel, uh, where Jesus turns water into wine, they're, they're watching what he does. They're listening to what he says. You know, when Jesus, went, remember when he healed the paralyzed man? Before he healed the man, he said, your sins are forgiven. They're listening to that. They're listening to him and they're watching him. They're intrigued by Jesus. These seven and everyone else who was following Jesus' movement even the Pharisees, they experienced what Jesus said firsthand. And they experienced what Jesus did firsthand. Jesus, unlike any other rabbi, modeled what he taught and called people to follow him. Jesus never called people to follow a set of rules. Jesus never called people to follow a teaching. Jesus never called people to follow a religious establishment. Jesus never called people to sign up to follow a church. Jesus called people every single time to follow Jesus. Do you and I follow Jesus? That's one thing that I learned out of this this week. Am I really following Jesus? Sometimes I get caught up with how to be a Christian and I forget about how to follow Jesus. <laughs> I know that sounds inane, but sometimes we can forget about that. It's all about following Jesus. When the music fades and all the stripped away, 
And I simply come. I simply come. I watch Jesus. I hear what he says. And I follow him. And you know what? We have our Bibles here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in even some other places in the Bible, like in Revelation and Acts, we hear the words of Jesus and we see the actions of Jesus. We can learn a lot about how to follow him. How to follow him. He showed the disciples what to do and he showed the disciples what to say. Like I said before, at this point, we haven't seen the disciples say anything or do anything, really. Jesus has been saying it and doing it. He's been bringing a declaration and he's been bringing a demonstration. All right? So there's a declaration and a demonstration. Jesus declares things and people think, wow, where's this authority coming from? This guy teaches not like the religious scribes, not like the religious leaders who burdened people with rules and regulations. Jesus teaches with authority. Where's this coming from? He has something to declare. He has a declaration, something to say. But also, he can cast out demons. He can heal the sick. He can raise paralyzed men back to life. He touches lepers. And, and the unclean becomes clean because the clean touches the unclean. He has influence over uncleanness. And that's just amazing that Jesus has that influence over you and I as well, over our sin, that he has become sin for us. And he took our sin on the cross for us so that we can be the righteousness of God. We can be clean just because he came into our world and touched our infirmities and, and died for them on the cross. He showed the disciples what to do. He told, so he showed them what to say. Jesus always led by example. Uh, I've never done an apprenticeship. I've always thought that it would be a great idea to do that. Uh, but Jesus was very, very interested in on-the-job training. There was only a couple of times that Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs without him there. Most of the time they were just watching him and listening to him. And here in scene one, in chapter three, scene one, and in scene two, we see declarations and demonstrations. Let's just read through, all right? In chapter 3, from verse 3 um, onwards, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. There's Jesus declaring, right? Then he said to them, the, the religious people, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Declaration. The declaration was for the man with the withered hand. The question, the question was, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy life? The question was for the cynical religious leaders. But the declaration that Jesus gave, step forward and stretch out your hand, that was for the man. The demonstration of the actual healing, that was for both the man and those who were watching on, verifying Jesus' declaration. The demonstration of the healing stands to verify the declaration that Jesus said. That still stands today too. It always has. The demonstration of God's power has always been there to 
verify the declaration of the gospel. You know, we have a message to, to share. We know that. The church of Jesus, we have a message to share, the message of good news, that we can have forgiveness of sins in Jesus. But we also can't just stop at the message. We can't just stop at the declaration. There must be a demonstration of that message. We need to practice what we preach. There needs to be a, a demonstration of the power of God in, in our lives to verify the declaration that we have. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the end of Mark. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, this is Jesus. He's res resurrected from the, from the grave, right? And he's come back to his disciples. And, um, and then it says in verse 20, this is the last verse in Mark's gospel. And the disciples went everywhere and preached declaration, right? And the Lord worked through them. The risen Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. There was a demonstration and a declaration. The declaration went first, and the demonstration was verifying the declaration. You know, a lot of people just get so caught up with the signs and the wonders without the message of sharing the gospel. And then others get so caught up with sharing the gospel, and it's all about head knowledge and words, and they forget about the power of God to heal. <sighs> Acts, if you've got Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, if you're taking notes, this is Peter uh, at Pentecost, and uh, he's delivering his first sermon, and it's not in a church. It's outside, and he's delivering it to all these people that have just witnessed the Holy Spirit turn up in people's lives. And this is Peter's words in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, people of Israel, listen. This is him preaching, right? God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. God publicly endorsed Jesus. You know, the signs weren't just signs to, to make a crowd follow Jesus. The signs were there to publicly endorse that this guy is saying something worth listening to. That's what it's all about. The, the signs and the wonders, it's not about them. It's about Jesus wants the disciples of Jesus to do greater things than him, not the signs and the wonders of the body and healing, but physically, uh, sorry, spiritually healing someone's soul eternally. That's greater. The signs and the wonders are, are wonderful. It's great. I love to see people healed. But the most important thing is to see people saved. The message of the gospel is always the central thing that we need to be focusing on, the declaration that Jesus saves. But let's not forget that there must be some kind of demonstration involved. Otherwise, we're just giving lip service to a world that gets frustrated with Christians. Amen? All right, scene one is done, dusted. That's church. That's synagogue, done. Now Jesus leaves that building and he goes to the, to the, to the ocean, to the, well, not the ocean, the lake, the sea. And he gets away, it says in verse 7. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And all these people, and all these people come, right? And down further in verse 9, it says, So he told his disciples that a small boat, uh, that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. Now the multitude, uh, for he healed many. He healed many. The demonstration of healing. 
The demonstration of healing that Jesus gave there is amazing. And so that as many as had afflictions pressed about to him, to touch him, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. That's a declaration. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. That's his declaration. Now, the declaration comes from the demon possessed saying, you are the son of God. The healings that Jesus performs are demonstrations of that very fact that Jesus is the son of God. These people, in need though they were, were after Jesus, not for his declaration, not for the message. They were after Jesus just for the miracles. And we find out later on through the, through the gospel, as we read through, we see many people deserting him because of the things he had to say were too difficult for them to understand. They just came for the miracles. They just came for the show. And even when we go even further to the cross, we see less people, even his disciples, deserted him. But Jesus had something to say and Jesus had something to do, something that we should be listening to, something that we should be watching. They only were concerned about the demonstration of Jesus' miracles. How ironic that the religious men were silent in response to Jesus in the synagogue and the demons here fell down before him and cried out in fear. How ironic that the, the religious leaders would leave the synagogue plotting a way to destroy and kill Jesus and the, and the, the people that were possessed by demons would fall down at his feet and cry out, you're the son of God. I thought Jesus would want people to call him the Son of God. Not yet, not yet, which is why Jesus told the, told the demons to be quiet. His time to declare who he was was not yet. He needed to show and he needed to say. Many people are just like this when it comes to Jesus. They say, what can I get from Jesus? What miracle can I receive from him? What can I get from his church? What can I get? What should I expect to see him demonstrate in my life. What can I get? More demonstration and less wanting to obey his declaration. It works the other way too, you know. Some people, some churches focus so much on the declaration of Jesus or the gospel and they miss out on the demonstration of Jesus or the gospel. But that's another sermon entirely. Have a look at... Uh, Romans 15, verse 18 and 19 with me. This is Paul writing to the early church in Rome. And in uh, and he says in, in Romans 15, 18, he says, Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked. See, the message and the work, the, the declaration and the demonstration. In verse 19, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. And then Paul says, in this way, I have fully presented the good news of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem all the way to that place. Fully, fully presented. That was too hard for me to say, Tim. That was a big word. It starts with I. The point is, though, not the name of the town, but the, the point is, that Paul says, I fully, I have fully presented the good news. In other words, the good news that we should 
be presenting to the world, the hope that we should be carrying to the world is not just with lip service, it's with a life transformed. It's with the power of God in us. You know, we can actually, as believers and followers of Jesus, we can lay our hands on people, maybe at a distance at the moment, but we can pray for healing. We can pray for people that are afflicted with demons. We can pray for mental illness. We can pray for each and every person that's suffering. You know, like the crowds came to Jesus by the lake. Well, we can bring Jesus to the crowds. We can actually be praying for them. Which gets me to this point here, scene three, how and why Jesus chose these disciples. How? Well, it's amazing. It's multifaceted. Jesus chose such a motley crew of guys, all different. Yeah, there were some fishermen and some brothers, but there's a tax collector who sided with the Romans, right? And then there's this zealot who's, who's like an extremist for the Jews who hates the Romans and hates taxes, and Jesus puts them on the same team. There, there's, there's people that are extroverts, they have foot and mouth disease, and they, they, they speak before they, before they think. And then there's others that we don't even hear about standing up in front of crowds or anything because they're introverted, possibly. Now, Jesus just picked all these different men, these different men. And get this, he chooses the, the last one in this list, Judas Iscariot, who ended up, who ended up betraying Jesus. Why did Jesus choose Judas? Jesus is how he chooses disciples, it's baffling. It's multifaceted. You know, I've often thought that. Why did Jesus choose Judas? You know, the best way to answer that question, ask the question, why did Jesus choose me? He, he chose Judas to follow him. He gave Judas all the opportunities available to believe that he was the son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to save the lost and the sick and save the lost and save us from our sins. And same with you and I. Jesus has offered us that opportunity to watch him, to listen to him, to learn from him, to follow him, to be a carrier of him. That's how Jesus chose disciples. He just chose a bunch of different men. He didn't go to the fancy schools of theological thought. He didn't choose the smartest, wisest, most good-looking. Well, we don't know about most good-looking. But we can see as we read through Mark's gospel, some of the crazy things that these disciples would come out with. It was like, what are you guys... Do you, do you actually know what you're saying when you ask Jesus this? You know, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying half the time. But my guess is, as time goes by, as they processed all that happened, as well as what all that Jesus said, it all fit together. Because Jesus not only had a declaration, but a demonstration. Jesus himself was going to be a demonstrator, nailed to a cross for your sin and for my sin putting into action what he spoke about. But why did Jesus choose these 12? Why did Jesus choose these 12? Well, there's lots of different reasons, I guess. But I've got three reasons and three from Mark's gospel, from this passage, right? Here's the three. The same three he chooses, uh, why he chooses you as well. These are the same three reasons why he chooses you and me. Number one, 
is this. It says in verse, um, where are we? 14. Oh, sorry, verse 15. No, 14, yeah, 14. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles, which means sent ones. They were to accompany him. Okay, there's number one, that they might be with Jesus. Right? That's why Jesus chose them. That they might be with him. Number two, and he would send them out to preach, that they would preach, that they would speak, that they would teach, that they would pray, that they would use their words to point people towards Jesus. All right? To be with Jesus, to preach, to speak for Jesus. And and in the new in the in the New Living Translation, a lot of translations, they missed the original, which is crazy. Because there's this other element there, and the new King James and the King James pick it up, that they would heal those who are sick. They'd heal the, the, the physical and the spiritual sickness. That they would heal those who are physically sick and that they would cast out demons. Now, that, that ta that's taking following Jesus to another level. Ian, are you saying that we should be healing sick people and casting out demons? My answer to that is, did Jesus do it? Are we watching him do it? At the end of Mark's gospel, we don't see the disciples using any of their power to cast out demons. It says the Lord worked through them. And, and my guess is that is if we continue to walk with Jesus, continue to be with him, right, and speak for him, then the signs and the wonders, the wonderful things that God only can do through us will happen because we're bold enough to come out with declaration. We're bold enough to be in his presence all the time and follow Jesus. It says, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Now, that doesn't say every day, every minute, every moment. It just means that it's a possibility. It can happen. They saw these disciples, every single one of them, saw the leper's skin change before their eyes from crusty to baby. That They saw with their own eyes the paralyzed man lowered through the ceiling and walk away having his sins forgiven through a stunned crowd of onlookers. These men and women, they heard the authority and the love that Jesus spoke with in the synagogue and by the sea and wherever Jesus went and whoever Jesus spoke with. In our world, we are living in a moment unlike any other. People are scared. People are dismissive. People are frustrated and people are cynical. They are, fully, they are full of uncertainty and fear, helplessness, sadness. We're all in a moment that feels complex, confusing and unsure. But what if the hope of Jesus can be carried into our broken world? What if we have a declaration to bring with a demonstration to back it up? What if it's our chance to listen without judging, to pray without ceasing, and to love without limits? This is when the church becomes the people, not the building.
not the organization, not the label. We can be carriers of Jesus as we follow Jesus. We can be sent out by Jesus to bring hope to the world one street at a time. Now, we can't connect with a lot of people physically, but we can connect with some. The odd chance we have to chat to a neighbor over the fence. The odd opportunity that comes our way when someone calls us up to check how we're going. We can, every opportunity we comes our way, we can speak on behalf of Jesus. And we can live on behalf of Jesus, bringing hope to a broken world. Not because we're special, but because Jesus is special and we follow him, that we might be with him, that we might preach, that we might heal. That's all it means to follow Jesus, to be with him, to speak, and to bring healing. I just want to pray for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray your blessing upon each and every one of us, Lord, that are listening to this message. And Lord, sometimes it can be kind of hard to hear that uh that we can actually be that special to you, that we can be used that much by you. And, Lord, it was a message that the disciples probably struggled with too, knowing their backgrounds, knowing their histories, knowing where you called them from. But, Lord, we we know the end of the story. Well, a lot of us do. How these disciples, over a period of three, three and a half years, you changed them. You transformed them. And they were able to be used by you, for you to work through them, to to change the world and to bring change to the world. In fact, we're here today because those 12 men stepped up. 11 of them continued on. But we're here today because they declared a message and they demonstrated the power of that message. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us, even just tonight, just to put into practice tonight what it means to be with you, what it means to speak for you, and what it means to bring healing, Lord, physically, spiritually, in our world. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.